judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I mean, pew, pew, pew. I guess. Fireworks. Oh, is that what that was? Okay. (laughs) Gunshots, fireworks, whatever. Depends on where you live. It's 2022. Could be either. Why not both? (laughs) Why not both? Start it off right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, we should say that we didn't end 2021 the way we thought we would, the way we anticipated and the way we shared with all of you that we were going to end it. (laughs) Yeah, because COVID was strong. COVID came back with a vengeance. Omicron. Yeah, uh, Sean and I ended up staying in New York by ourselves for Christmas because he got COVID. Minor. He's all right, everyone. He's all right. It was just, you know, he's boosted and vaxxed, but he works in a bar. So it was basically inevitable. But I'm glad that he's feeling better. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. And I somehow didn't get it. Because you're boosted and vaxxed and like, that's what it does, like, yeah, I mean, he to. was too, but yeah. I think like our exposure time to get it, like it just, it worked out. I was lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a lot of people who are vaccinated did get it, but I feel very lucky that I didn't. And I'm, you know, crossing my fingers that that keeps being the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people who got it, we didn't get it. Um, so we still went to his parents' house in Jersey, took the dog. He didn't pee on anything that he wasn't supposed to pee on. You were on. so worried about that. I was so incredibly worried. Good boy, Pete. And he actually, like, we have wee pads for him. And Thea was like, I'm going to set it up in, like, they have a, a downstairs bathroom. And I'm like, he's never going to find that. He's never going to find this bathroom to find this pad to pee on it. Like, it's not going to happen. This dog went from the room we were staying in upstairs, down the stairs, around the corner, into this bathroom, and peed on the mat. It must have a smell to it that he can detect or it something. It does, but from that far. And, like, honestly, like, I don't think he's that smart. But, like, I, you know what? Well, Shut apparently he is. Give your dog some Shut credit. My mouth. I did. I gave him a treat. He got some toys. He did a very good job. Oh, good boy. He Pete. just didn't understand stairs. So when someone went upstairs, he didn't know that that would be the same person coming back. So he would start barking, thinking it was a stranger. And then would be like, oh, wait, I know you. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not used to stairs. He has, no. he's ridden in an elevator, but he, he's maybe come up my stoop. Maybe. He loves stairs. Like, if you, he walked like almost into this gentleman's house the other day on a walk, and I was just like, I'm so sorry. And the guy was like, No, he's cute. And I was like, Well, this is weird. Let's go. But yeah, he loves running upstairs. I guess the possibility behind them. Or he's just a creep. Who knows? He's a dog. Your dog is a creep. No, he's not. He's super cute. I love him. But I mean, he could be both. Why not both? Creepy. (laughs) (laughs) But your New Year's plans changed. Oh, they did. So kind of everyone canceled on that party. So we were like, let's just stay home. Because also we didn't know when Theo was working because he, you know, you go in at one time, but you can come out whenever. And he didn't get home until like around 10. But we got awesome, awesome friend and uh, bridesmaid, Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Hannah. Um, she got us a dive bar in a box. So it had like Milwaukee beers and Slim Jims, which I thought that I liked, but I don't. They're not <laughs> as good when you're an adult, but like I, I appreciated it. So then it had like this cheddar caramel popcorn. 
Milwaukee cheddar beers. and caramel at the yeah, same like time? Yeah, like mixed in together. Yeah, it's a Milwaukee thing, apparently. Oh, um, listen, I love you, Wisconsin. You're in our top five for states that listen to us. <laughs> but caramel and cheddar? No, I can't. I didn't I try it yet, but she got us two bags. Theo devoured one. Apparently, that's good. Okay. But then she got us a... Um, it was one of those uh, Hunt a Killer games. Oh, okay. And I now have a problem. We've ordered two more. I'm obsessed <laughs> with them. We were like, we almost missed midnight because we were like, we just need to solve this one last part. But like, it's five minutes to midnight. Just this one last part. And then we're like, all right, let's just pause. Yay, 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 New Year's. And now this game, like I'm obsessed. And like, I got it. It was the easy version, but also I watched a lot of true crime stuff. So I feel like I got it very quickly. All right. So we've ordered the medium one and a hard one so we're gonna do like a little date night so she started that trend and that was like a really good new year's mine is pretty quiet it was mm-hmm. the first year in a while that sean wasn't home um you know if he has if he's scheduled to work then he works if he's mm-hmm. not he, he doesn't you know um and now that new year's is on the weekend for the next few yeah. years he'll be working so i just did my traditional i did order the chinese food that part of the plan stayed the same at an appropriate time at, at an appropriate time, yeah. It actually took a whole hour to get here, so oh, wow. they must have been busy enough. Uh, it was fine. I wasn't super hungry, so it worked. And then I couldn't get any channel to come in with the ball dropping or whatever on Aww. my TV. So I turned on my Animal Crossing and celebrated New Year's with the villagers Aww. in my Animal Crossing. <laughs> there were that's fireworks awesome. and everything. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And then I went to bed at 12.05 because... No, I don't play that. <laughs> I think we went to bed at like one. We did get, um, I don't know, we have like Pluto TV. And I was just like, I don't know, news. So we were watching that. And then like you missed them swearing in uh, Mayor Adams, which I was like, do they normally did I do miss this? that? Or? No, you didn't miss anything really. But I just thought it was so weird that they're so ready to get rid of de Blasio that they were like, let's swear this dude in as soon as we can. Because I don't remember them doing that, or I don't remember when it is, but I know it is the first. Like it, it okay. is, it is January first, but I don't know about like time if it's of at day, midnight. yeah, or if he was just trying to be. I remember the clip coming out the next day about like, hey, everybody, stay safe, and he wasn't wearing a mask in the photo mm-hmm. at Times Square. So, listen, we're not fans of the mayor. <laughs> um, that's a whole another podcast. We're definitely not fans yeah. of the mayor. No, no. no. On to happier <sighs> things that we are fans of. What are you reading? What are you watching? Do you have anything big for the new year that you're getting into? Well, I I up my my Goodreads challenge. Although I am on Goodreads still because I mm-hmm. think more people are on there. Yeah. But I'm trying to shift everybody over to the Storygraph. I found out about Storygraph not from you, but from someone else. And then I like reposted it. And everyone was like, what is that? And I'm like, it's my favorite thing. It's books and graphs. Like, it's amazing. It so now I'm on both. so cool. Now and it's like owned by love. a woman of color. So oh, shit, yeah. double bonus. Okay. Not owned by Amazon like Goodreads. So I did not know. Yeah. So I still have my Goodreads because more people are on that and mm-hmm. I can I can see more of their stuff. But I, I've got them both set up. Last year, I think I set my goal for 20 because I was like, I don't really have any idea how many books I do read. But I got into audiobooks, so it helped me. They're better. Not better, but like they're They're good you for can when, get you're, more. when you're, do, like, I listen to one while I'm doing laundry or I whatever. I love it. I've listened to, it is, it is the, what day is it? The it is seventh. the seventh. I've, I've listened to three books. Nice. No. <laughs> well, I couldn't. So first of all, my library card was expired. 
and then I had to go to the library, which I think is ridiculous, but they made me do that too. And I was just like, what is this? Yeah. It, it expired. Well, I think a lot of them might have expired during the year last year, but they mm-hmm. extended it because the library wasn't open yeah. as much because of COVID. So I went in, renewed my library card on the 4th, and then I went to order a whole bunch of audiobooks, and most of the ones I wanted had a hold on them. I finally found one that didn't, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and I got a few print books. So I usually have an audiobook and a print book going at the same time. Oh, I can't mentally do that i mean i watch two different shows at the same time so i mean i can do that but i will constantly forget that i'm watching one of them like i forgot that we were watching dexter and i started watching some show on netflix called tagged which is not very good but it's fast paced and it's good background we've been watching cobra kai I, I listen i loved the karate kid when i was younger and i think i'm just enough younger than you to have like been into it i don't know if I, that was a thing for you it wasn't but i worked at a talent agency and ralph macchio was one of the clients and he came in all the time and he is super super nice that's awesome yeah i'm glad to hear that no the show is really good it, it hits a lot of nostalgia points for those of us who grew up with the original film mm-hmm. but it tackles like themes of bullying pretty well i would mm-hmm. say so i'm i'm really enjoying that we like it's kind of one of those partially a guilty pleasure type show you know because some of the things are so ridiculous but season two of beforeigners is on hbo max such a good show it's a norwegian show Hmm. and it's about modern day norway and there's like some weird glitch that happens that people end up time traveling from other points in history to modern day and oh, it's, okay. It's really a I good... I was like, that sounds dangerous as fuck. It, but if it's modern day. Well, but it is because you've got like, you've got Vikings showing up and Victorian I era guess. people showing up. And so it's a really good allegory for racism and um, like discrimination within a country, nationalism oh, wow. and that sort of thing. Because people are like, oh you're from the viking era you can't be a cop like that's not a lot like so there's a lot of that i Um, was thinking like me accidentally getting transported to like 1620 or something and then being a problem yeah i mean there is a uh, an interesting storyline that's happening that we don't quite fully know yet but it does involve potentially someone who traveled backwards first and then traveled forward to the future again so but but we don't really know that story like wait this is like new new like episodes being released at a time uh season two is being released at a time yes season one is out fully i will follow up in a year and see where it is (laughs) i can't do the waiting i can't i'm actually what do you do if there's a season three are you gonna keep waiting yeah i'll just wait you know what i'm watching now i i am re-watching top chef so we just finished top chef season two and that was like 2004 goodbye i just go back i (laughs) go back i'm i'm this show but i'm going back for tv Uh Mm uh-huh okay moving on moving on (laughs) oh well do we have anything to say about the bloopers episode i don't know how funny it was i (laughs) found myself just sitting there I i was actually I took like a bunch of walks and I went to this coffee shop and I was sitting outside and I was just cracking 
up and like there were people sitting inside and like I was sitting outside because I was like mm, it's COVID so why would I do that and it was a little bit chilly but it was like nice whatever so I'm sitting in outside and I'm just like knee slapping laughing so hard and I'm like people are looking at me they think I'm weird and I was like you know what I should be like you know what you should listen to this podcast and that's when I thought that we should get business cards to hand to people okay like those so this to print <laughs> there was one time I was having brunch and the table next to me was talking hella shit about Meghan Markle. And I was just like, ooh, you don't even know. You're sitting next to an expert, but I don't want to be rude because they were like older women. And I was like, I wish, one, that Rebecca was here so she could be like, um, excuse me, ladies. Two, <laughs> if I just had a business card to be like, hey, um, what you're saying is incredibly inaccurate, but you can listen to this and just slide over a business card of our podcast. So that's a thing. Um, Ashley had a similar experience over New Year's. She She's in like this texting group with a bunch of moms, I mm -hmm. think. Uh, from my nephew's elementary school and one of them is from like I don't know somewhere in the south and someone else was like hey did everybody order their Chinese food did it and this woman was like listen I've been here for like x number of years and I don't understand y'all's fascination with Chinese food on New Year's and Ashley was like you should listen to this podcast episode <laughs> my sister talks about <laughs> I'm like, awesome. wait a point, like point her to the blooper. She's like, okay, maybe it's not the best place to start, but. I mean, it reels you in. If you're like interested in us talking about like random stuff, you're going to be interested in the educational part. Yeah. Well, right? speaking of the educational part, I think it's time we start nice. educating. Nice segue. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So in this episode, we're actually going to be discussing American singer and actress Whitney Houston who's probably most well-known for musical hits such as I Will Always Love You and I Want to Dance with Somebody. And, of course, her, her appearance in the 1992 film The Bodyguard. We will discuss her rise to fame, her struggles with addiction, and the general perception that different audiences had of her. We will then explore some of the behind-the-scenes experiences and how the themes we may not have known as the general public affected her life and her career. Finally, we'll address the impact she's had on the musical world and beyond. Just a couple of trigger warnings uh, for sexual molestation and substance abuse. Whitney Elizabeth Houston was born August 9th, 1963 in Newark, New Jersey, to parents John Russell Houston Jr. and Emily Sissy Houston. She was the third born following her two brothers, Michael and Gary. Her mother, who went by Sissy, was a well-known singer. Before settling down as a gospel singer, she sang backup for Dionne Warwick, Elvis Presley, and Aretha Franklin, just to name a few. Sissy even had a solo career, and while it didn't go as far as she hoped, she did win two Grammy Awards. So to say that music was in Whitney's blood is a huge understatement. She was strongly encouraged to sing at a young age, if not by her mother, then by her cousin Dionne Warwick, or her godmother Darlene Love, or her honorary aunt Aretha Franklin. If these names don't sound familiar to you, let's just say that she was heavily surrounded by soul music royalty. Listen, if these names don't sound familiar to you, go educate yourself. But seriously, the music by these women is just 100, like Absolutely. just top. Yeah. So despite the musical successes in her family, when Houston was growing up, they lived in Newark, New Jersey. 
It was. <laughs> I love that that was that. The, the despite despite her success, she lived in New Jersey because it wasn't great. So like the city was in the middle, especially at that time, the city was in the middle of social unrest, social change. Um, in 1967, the New York riots started. Uh, it was incited by police brutality. It was four days of looting, shooting, rioting and property destruction. Twenty six people died and hundreds were injured. Police violence. There we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Whitney spoke of having to eat her dinner on the floor to avoid bullets flying through the window. Lovely. She described it as the ghetto. It was rough, but it was home for her. Her father had some pull in the local government, which allowed her family to move to the suburbs of East Orange, New Jersey. Now, her mother still toured, partly to put food on the table and partly because, you know, she was a musician at heart and she loved being on the road. Like, you can't, you can't take that out of creators, really. In the documentary titled Whitney, directed by Kevin McDonald, Houston's brother Michael spoke about how the separation took a toll on the kids. When Sissy toured, the kids were often left with family or friends. Honestly, like whoever was available to watch them. Michael recalled Whitney crying on the curb as their mother would drive away. I mean, honestly, lots of kids yeah, would do that, right? Sad. It's your mom. While she was away on these tours, Michael states that... Um, he himself was molested by a family member, D.D. Warwick. He says that he believes Whitney had also been molested, but that they never told their parents. So after a few years, Sissy Houston finally settles down and becomes the choir minister at New Hope Baptist Church. There, Whitney got the opportunity to spend some time with her mother, bonding over music and performing. Sissy later became Whitney's vocal coach, and the two sometimes would butt heads over teaching methods, Friends say that Sissy was really hard on Whitney because she wanted her to be better than she was. Sissy's career didn't take off the way that she wanted it to, but she believed that things could be different for Whitney. Under her mother's watch, Whitney started doing solo performances for the church. She also learned how to play piano and incorporated that into her performances, all by the age of 11. Wow. What were you doing at 11? I was um, doing nothing. Making trash forts in my backyard. The hell's a trash fort? <laughs> what i don't know why that's the thing that came to my mind but some like we lived in this apartment complex and people used to throw their furniture out like by the dumpster but not uh-huh. in the dumpster and we would take it and put it behind our house and like we made a fort out of it. <laughs> Trash listen suburb life i don't know i don't know what to tell you anyway houston attended mount saint dominic academy a catholic girls school she was placed there after some bullying from her other school the school was run by nuns and her parents liked the idea of the church always being sort of centered around what she was learning her local church was like a second family to whitney i mean she leaned harder on them as her parents went through a messy divorce there were rumors of cheating on both sides actually Uh, The fighting at home between her parents affected Whitney during the last few years as a teenager, and her grades dropped and she became really distant. Her brother notes that Houston took the divorce very hard, and it was really because she loved her parents together, and now that she felt kind of like she had to pick sides. And being that her mom was her vocal coach and her mentor, it would seem like she already picked, right? Uh, But Sissy was the gateway to the world that she wanted to live in. By the time Whitney was 15, she was performing with her mother in nightclubs all around New York and New Jersey. But that was just the beginning. (laughs) 
Although singing was the goal, Whitney wasn't going to pass up opportunities when they presented themselves. She was walking through the city with her mother one day, and she just gets discovered by this agent for Click Model Management. She later signed with the prestigious Wilhelmina Models Agency. You know, like you do. You're just walking down yeah, the street and this someone's dude, like, hey. Yeah, he just walked up and was like, hey, you're pretty. They're looking for models upstairs. Hashtag can't relate. Hashtag can't relate. No, <laughs> not at all. So her photos appeared in Seventeen, Glamour, Cosmopolitan, Mademoiselle, Young Miss. She was known for having the girl next door charm. And people were clamoring to work with her. She was the second African-American woman to appear on the cover of Seventeen magazine in 1981. That seems messed up. Like, I don't know how long oh, yeah. Seventeen magazine was around. I don't know when it yeah. started. So but, that might be a good question. But like, unless it started in 1981, right. like that doesn't make any sense. I, we'll look that up and find out. Um, and we'll also look up who the first person was. I know I saw it, but I don't remember now. But she also wasn't. There was a white girl on the cover with her, so oh. she wasn't by herself, okay. but yeah, there yeah, was yeah. Of course. a black girl who was on the cover by herself before Whitney. All right. Yeah. At this time, Whitney had moved out of her parents' home and was living with a friend, Robin Crawford. She and Houston met in 1980 when Crawford was 19 and Houston was 17, the pair having both been counselors at an East Orange summer camp. Now, Robin claims that they were not only best friends, but also lovers. In Crawford's book, A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston, she speaks about their relationship. She says, we never talked about labels like lesbian or gay. We just lived our lives and hoped it would go on that way forever. But it's really sweet. It, it is, you know, that, and that's honestly, that's the way it should be. Yeah. But Houston soon ended the physical side of their relationship. According to Crawford, she said, if people find out about us, they would use it against us. And back in the 80s, that's how it felt. I mean, yeah, you especially think about the 1980s and, oh, yeah. and um, like gay culture and the AIDS mm -hmm. epidemic and everything. Especially with Whitney being raised in the church. Like she was worried about sinning. She felt that her lifestyle would send them to hell. Crawford states that her family was aware of the relationship and not concerned. However, Whitney's family turned a blind eye to it. It was kind of like a don't ask, don't tell situation, I guess. Yeah, I heard. Like, oh, they're just friends. Aren't they mm -hmm. cute friends? Oh, they're roommates. <laughs> they're just roommates. Nothing else. Uh, in the documentary, her brother acknowledges it and, and he does not like Robin. Like, he's mad about it well it's okay to not like them but it's another thing to dismiss oh no he doesn't sexuality. like robin because she's a lesbian oh yeah okay yeah so it's like i'm not even gonna acknowledge that person because they're a lesbian and i hate them yeah yeah that's not cool crawford also speaks of the houston's turning a blind eye to their kids drug use uh Whitney and her brothers were known to party using both marijuana and Coke on a regular basis. And we are not talking about Coca-Cola. No, not the kind you drink. This no. one goes up your nose. In Sissy's biography, Remembering Whitney, she briefly speaks fondly of Robin. Sissy states that she respects her for being the first one to come to her about Whitney's drug problem in the late 80s. Robin said that both she and Nippy were doing it on occasion, but that Nippy likes it a little bit too much. Apparently, if they had it in the house, Robin could do some and stop. Sissy writes that Nippy would keep going, would keep going on doing it until everything was gone. Now, side note, we haven't mentioned this yet, but Nippy was Houston's family nickname. Yeah. Yeah. It's it sounds so weird, but that's like think about your family. Like, what do your family call you? Like 
Becky. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that'd be weird to like be outside. But yeah, yeah. they called her Nippy. So the nickname came from her father. Uh, he gave her the nickname of Nippy. It was based on a cartoon character who constantly got into trouble. Whitney's friends, family, basically anyone who got really close to her rarely called her Whitney. She was always known as Nippy offstage. Okay. Both Sissy and Robin decided they were going to keep an eye out to make sure that things didn't get out of hand. Robin stayed in Whitney's life, but as a travel companion and assistant, and much later a creative director, the two were not romantic again. Oh, that makes me sad. Yeah. But I guess that's the way it goes. Well, being a traveling model was fun, I guess. I mean, again, can't relate. The goal was singing, and Sissy used a bit of trickery to get Whitney back on track. Sissy called her daughter one night and told her her voice was fading and she wouldn't be able to perform. And she needed Whitney to cover her gig. So, you know, she did. And Whitney was amazing. Like, we know she is. Mm -hmm. And the crowd loved her. And she loved being on stage by herself. The next day, her mother calls her, sounding fine and healthy. When Whitney questioned the quick recovery, she just responded, I'm fine. I just want to see if you could do it. <laughs> Which is, like, so amazing playing your own kid oh, yeah they started meeting with record companies the very next week yeah it's like you just needed to let her know like have confidence in yeah, yourself like, you can do this like yeah. the stage is yours like are you ready for it and that would have been the thing right like if she bombed out and couldn't do it sissy would have been like all right let's take a step back let's try this again next year but she yeah. nailed it it seems like there was support in that area yeah so after some wooing from Arista Records chairman Clive Davis, Houston signed to the label at age 19 in April 1983. Whitney's first studio album was in the works, but first the record company just needed to, you know, change everything about her. Mm -hmm. According to Robin, the record company thought Whitney's hair and photos were too black. Yeah. I don't know if you have a reaction to that. I feel like you should. <laughs> I thought that one sink in. I, I mean, been there. I, what is it? Can relate, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. They demanded that she get a weave, which she had never had before. And back then was actually more rare than mm -hmm. it is today. And they also wanted her to retake her album cover shots as she wasn't smiling. And, you know, she looked aggressive because black woman not smiling. You must be aggressive. That is a real thing. Like you are told that you have an attitude problem where you don't look approachable. But like for me, I never want to look approachable. Like, look, leave, don't approach leave me. me alone. <laughs> like, why? Leave me alone. But, Best thing about masks. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like if you're not on, then you're off and you're aggressive and you have an attitude problem. And, you know, you're probably a bully until like, you start talking to somebody and it's me and it's like, oh, she's very pleasant. And it's like, oh, my face doesn't betray that. Oh, yeah. The label got her way and Whitney got a blonde curly weave. <laughs> a blonde curly weave? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that looked real natural. It didn't at all. But <laughs> Whitney pulled it the fuck off because she's Whitney. But Robin got the photos approved by Whitney before the label could do anything about it. But that was the last time album cover, cover approval was left to Whitney. So what you're saying is like she got these pictures done in this blonde weave. No. So the cover of this album, we'll put it on the Instagram. It's just um, she's got like short black hair and she's wearing kind of like a bathing suit, but she's not smiling. She's looking kind of like off to the side. She looks very stoic. Okay. Because like so, this was a serious album. So I get the look. At the end of the day, 
the album cover was not the blonde weave. No, but every other album cover after that, you can tell that the album was like, the label was like, no, we're going to approve this. Because it goes from her looking very, it looks very black. It looks like very like early 90s, like living single vibes, black. Sure. And then all the other albums are very like whitewashed. Like she's got like the the, the blonde curly weave on like the singles and stuff. I vaguely that remember that hair. Yeah. yeah. It's in the uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody video. I'm pretty sure. Okay. okay. That's why I'm picturing it. Like, she's got, like, a pink dress and, like, pink lipstick. It's We'll share it's photos nice. for yes. sure. Her self-titled album, the one that we're talking about with the cover, was released on February 14th, 1985. It was slow to popularity, but by the summer, everyone had it on their boomboxes. Boomboxes. Yeah, with the D batteries that go into oh, yeah. boomboxes. Four of them. Eight of them, even. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So, with the success of that album, uh, Whitney began to tour with big singers, Luther Vandross and Jeffrey Osborne, for their individual tours in 1985. Yeah, being in the spotlight wasn't new to the family. I mean, think back to Sissy's career. But this time it was different. You know, Whitney was being marketed to white audiences, and she had to seem approachable and safe. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> it hurts my soul. She was sold as Black Barbie from the suburbs, private school and a good family that would never have any scandal or infidelity. Oh, no. I mean, most people didn't even know her parents were divorced. So the image that they were looking to maintain was one of the Cosbys, or a modern take on this would be Randall's family from Mrs. Us or the Johnsons in Blackish. The only issue was that Whitney wasn't a Cosby kid. She, while she did live in a nicer neighborhood, it was only about 20 minutes from Newark. She did go to a private girls' school, but like a lot of kids from Newark attended that school. Basically saying that she might have moved out of the hood, but the hood was still in her. She wasn't ashamed of where she came from and didn't understand why people wanted her to erase that part of her. And you know what? I appreciate that. And I don't appreciate the erasure of yeah. her roots. Because that's, you know, that's what made her. Like, that's what made her. And to erase it, like... Spoiler alert, it's going to fuck some shit up. Yeah. So in the documentary, Whitney, Patricia Houston, her sister-in-law, speaks of double consciousness. She states, it was almost like she became Whitney Houston when it was time to get on stage. And when she came off again, she was nip nippy. It gives me like, I don't know, like that Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana vibe. I don't, I never watched Hannah Montana, but whatever Hannah Montana's like yeah. character name was. Uh, right? Like, didn't no, she? No, I know. I just, I'm think I've. I've never watched, I didn't have Disney Channel growing up, but I know it and I can't think of it. Hannah Montana didn't come Someone's out until I was old. Someone's screaming it right now. Yes. Um, Just Hannah tweet Montana at us. and... Tweet at us. Listen, I'm oh, not going to come up it? with it. I don't know. But it kind of gives me that vibe. Is that Miley Cyrus? No, that's the actress. I know, but like I thought maybe that was her name on the show too, no? Listen, you all hate us right now because we're old and we don't know. So tweet at us and let us know what her actual name is Hannah and we'll Montana. shout it out next time. Or Kim will come up with it by the end of the episode. And I'll shout and it share. out. <laughs> um, I'm just mumbling Hannah Montana. But, I mean, black audiences didn't see Nippy, mm -mm. right? They didn't see Houston as she really was. They saw this Whitney Houston, almost like a character, mm. who was trying to appeal to a white audience. They, as an audience, felt shunned and, and her approach backfired, right? Al Sharpton actually led a protest outside her New York City concert, calling her out for working with only white promoters. 
he called for others to protest Whitey Houston. Which is absolutely ridiculous to me that Al Sharpton, was there not other shit going on right now? Like, was there not police brutality going on that he could have been focused on? And also, do you think she had a choice in what promoters she worked with? Do you think she could just go like, oh, no, I only want to work with the black ones. Thanks. Like, the white ones are probably the ones who were working all the big arenas. They were probably run by all, like, rich white dudes back then. It was the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear about this for other artists, right? Yeah. Like, do you think that, like, the Jacksons or like Prince had to deal with these problems. So the NAACP stood by Whitney and encouraged support of a young black female artist. As they should. Yes. They said Houston was a crowning jewel of the African-American community and should be supported. The crowd at the 1988 Soltrine Awards ceremony disagreed. <laughs> she was booed when her name was read as nominee for best R&B female artist. The black community questioned her authenticity Believing her musical talents and successful image were too pop or too white and not aligned with the canon of black music. I think that's really interesting. Um, have you ever have you gotten around to watching that pop culture like this is pop or no, whatever? No, I haven't. Because the episode they did with uh, boys to men and this mm -hmm. idea of boys to men being like palatable to white audiences and sort of I get being that. this like. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. I think that kind of fits in with that same idea, although it was a few years later. Well, like the same thing happens to Lizzo all the time. Her music is like very pop and some black audiences are like, she doesn't make music for us. And she's like, I make music for everybody, which I believe she makes music for everybody. Do they say the same about like Little Nas X and his country stuff? Are they like, he's too white because he's singing country? No, I feel it's like the other way around, he's right? He's too gay for certain people. So he's got his own problems. Oh, so he's... He's too black and he's too gay. Yeah. Mm. So like, I don't know if he's the a good country example. people don't accept him. They don't. Nor... Well, I mean, they don't accept anybody. Do you remember when Beyonce like performed at the CMAs and it was like a real fucking problem? Good Lord. Yeah. They did not like that. And I'm like, she's from Texas and grew up on this music and was doing a song with the Dixie Chicks, who they also don't super like. That's that's a whole... The Dixie Chicks are fucking amazing, though. That's like, another one. And I love that they don't like them. I didn't give a shit about the Dixie Chicks until all that controversy. And I was like, oh, wait, we They're, have similar opinions about things? They're kind of woke well, for country singers. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> let me go... Because I really was just like, well, all country music, they all have their rebel flag and don't give a shit about me. And then when I like started listening to like the things they were saying, I was like, oh, okay, Dixie Chicks. Like, I mean, I'm here the for The song this. about Earl had to die. I yeah. Mean, that's... Maybe we should do them. I think they're on the list or they're on the list I have in my head mentally. Okay. Well, let's like put them down on a list where we'll both see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not the one inside your head. You can't see inside my head? No. <laughs> anyway. When Whitney signed to Arista Records, CEO Clive Davis consciously molded her into a white, friendly pop princess. In the documentary Whitney, Can I Be Me?, Arista's head of promotion, Kenneth Reynolds, says anything that was too, quote, black-sounding was sent back to the studio. We didn't want a female James Brown. Fucking hell. My jaw dropped. Like... I get that people think that way, but the fact that it was actually a marketing decision to be like, oh no, mm -mm, too black, send it back, can't do it, is wild to me. The link to her blackness was crafted via relationships. Houston was romantically linked to musicians Jermaine Jackson, American football star Randall Cunningham, and actor Eddie Murphy. 
However, rumors started to get out about her and Robin. In an interview in 1991, Whitney was asked if she was gay. Point out. They just asked her. She answered, Whitney is not gay. Was she simply answering in the third person or was was it double consciousness? That's actually really interesting because she wasn't known for speaking in the third person, was she? I don't think so. And once like I heard about like the double consciousness thing and then watched that interview, I was like, she's saying that Whitney isn't gay. But maybe Nippy is. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe that's it how... It was a way of not lying. Exactly. Exactly. I think so. I mean, this is all kind of what you think it's a lot of speculation yeah it would would have to be but uh, that's what i think but either way her being publicly gay and out was not something that would have been okay not with her very religious family not with the media of the 80s and not for someone looking to keep this new career afloat houston's friend and hairstylist ellen lavar describes the relationship between whitney and robin as a safety net there was a whole separate world from who she needed to be in public for her parents and for her family. The other relationships, be it Randall Cunningham or Eddie Murphy, she had those relationships because they were expected of her and she liked men too. So I think that's a, an interesting take. Yeah. Like why not both? Like bisexuality is a thing. Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) For Whitney, maintaining a good public image wasn't just for her anymore. Her family was along for the ride and on the payroll. If she fumbled the bag, she did it for her whole family and not just for her. Her father, John Houston, was the former manager of Sissy when she was touring. He stepped up as manager for Whitney and was described as an opportunistic person. I feel like it's always dangerous when, like, your parent is your manager. I mean, we saw that. I.e. Amy Winehouse. So back to Whitney's family. Once her dad took over, everybody was on the payroll. One brother became a backup singer and the other one became her tour manager. Which is different than her general manager, her yeah. overall manager. Her dad was Got like her overall manager for a while. Mm-hmm. Whitney fought to have Robin made a paid assistant as well. Her brothers having money and being on the tour made the tour more of a family party. And that included drinking and drugs. Whitney's life and career were about to go through some big changes. Her career hit a new high on January 27th, 1991 when Houston sang the Star-Spangled Banner at Super Bowl XXV before a record 79 million viewers. The tempo was changed so that the song was sung more soulfully. People loved it. I mean, the Persian Gulf War was happening, and Americans, they just felt united by this patriotic performance. And honestly, it's arguably one of the most memorable performances of the song ever. Ever. What's it feel like to be patriotic? You could cut that out. That's I, I remember I it in the 90s. I think I felt that way in the 90s. I don't... I was a kid, though, so, yeah. like, it was easier to... I didn't know as much of what was actually happening in the world. I feel like maybe the first Olympics I watched, like, watching, like, Michael Phelps win his first, like, gold medal. Okay, so that's really much more recent, because... Yeah. My, um, the first Olympics I actively remember watching, even though I know there were some before then, mm-hmm. was the 92 Barcelona Olympics. Barcelona. Um, I don't remember that one. I'm his baby. Yeah, you would have been, what, eight? Four? No. I don't know math. You do not know math. No, I don't. Because I I feel like I have this whole memory of being in kindergarten in 91, but that might not have been true. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, then. Yeah, I think you would have been six. Six? You're five in kindergarten. Okay. What did I say? I don't know what you say. You said like four or eight or I don't know. Whatever. Those are big numbers. Those are big different numbers. But anyway, it's not about me. It's about Whitney. It is. And her amazing performance of the Star Spangled Banner. 
We need something like that to unite us all again. Back to a whole nother podcast, but back to this one. Another big change that Whitney was going through was getting married. Okay. So after meeting at the Soul Train Awards, Whitney and Bobby Brown started dating, and they were married on July 18th, 1992. Bobby was a singer and a rapper. Around that time, he was just starting his solo career from the group New Edition. Mm-hmm. Most, one of his most notable songs is My Prerogative. Later covered by Britney Spears. Better by Britney Spears. I maybe not. But listen, I, I have to say it's better simply because Bobby Brown is Bobby Brown and Yes. But at the time like if we talk about cancel culture. <laughs> yes. But I think at the time At the time Britney was ten years old. <laughs> So the media perception of this couple was opposites attract. Whitney was an American pop princess, perfect, soft-spoken, so bashful. Bobby, on the other hand, was brash, loud, and so vulgar. He had a song at the time called uh, Humpin' Around. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He spoke his mind in interviews and usually came off as unlikable. Yeah, the shock of their relationship was really only for the public, though. Whitney's family describes Bobby as, you know, just another dude from the hood. He was kind of similar to her brothers, who she was close with. So her family wasn't overly surprised at this union. Robin also was not surprised, but she was disappointed. But she supported Whitney and stood by her side as a bridesmaid and also as her creative director. It seems really sad to me that, like, she had to, if the speculation is all correct, and this was kind of like the love of her life, forcibly straight, she had to stand there and like bear witness to their matrimony as like the maid of honor. Like she had to sit and watch all of this happening in front of Some her. Some love actually shit right there. I've never seen that movie. Good. Don't. All right. Don't guys don't. I, I hate won't. it. Listen, it kind of come at like... me, come at me on Twitter. I don't care. Love actually is the worst. Actually. <laughs> well done. So back to her career. It was about to hit yet another high. When Whitney was asked to be the lead in the film The Bodyguard, the film was released November 25th in 1992. It grossed $411 million worldwide. That's like all the money. It became the second highest grossing film of 1992. So I guess it wasn't all the money. Just close. It was a lot. It was a lot. Kevin Costner, you know, he was the lead actor and the producer on the film. And he wanted Whitney as the leading lady. She was reluctant because she had never acted before, and now she was supposed to be the lead. After months of reaching out to her people and hearing no, Kevin Costner called Whitney himself. That's bold. In an interview, Costner spoke about shooting his shot. Although I don't think they called it that then, did they? Probably not. I feel like that's a new thing with like Hamilton and stuff. That's not from... Yeah. But it it became like... It wasn't I invented guess be- with that, but it became like common parlance after Hamilton. Okay. Like, people say that a lot more now than they yes. did. He stated, I promised her two things, that I would be right there with her and she would not be bad because I refused to let anybody fail around me. And she signed that day. I need a Kevin Costner just to hang out and just encourage me on things. All right. I'm okay with that. I should call him. Sign me up. Kevin Costner, are you listening? Wouldn't it be awesome if he did? (laughs) He doesn't, but it would be awesome if he did. So the film 
was a success. Huge success. But the soundtrack, the soundtrack was unstoppable. It was produced by Whitney herself and Clive Davis. It featured six new songs. I Will Always Love You, I'm Every Woman, I Have Nothing, Run To You, and Queen of the Night. These songs are all absolute bangers, bops, whatever the kids are saying these days. Oh my gosh. My stepmom had this soundtrack and she would play it so loud in the house when we had to clean on Saturdays. We yes. would clean the house and it was just like... And and like we all thought we could sing it, but you know we could. You not. try, we you try those not. notes, and and it's bad and it's embarrassing. But you're in your house. But in so your whatever. house, cleaning yeah. it doesn't matter. And yeah, I mean, I'm not about to try singing any of them now. But no, I I would I would like to when this is over. That's probably what I'm gonna listen to on the way home. But it's and a very good soundtrack. I mean, the first one was written by Dolly Parton, right? I will always love you. Yes, that's originally written by Dolly Parton. Yeah. But even she is like, wow, Whitney's version. Yeah. The Bodyguard soundtrack sold over 45 million copies worldwide. And two of the songs were nominated for Academy Award for Best Original Song. The album was also nominated for four Grammy Awards, winning three, including Album of the Year. And it deserved it. I wonder how many soundtracks have won Album of the Year. I should Google that. But that's interesting. Like for Album of the Year to be a soundtrack and not like... A body of work that like one artist has put out. I mean, I guess this kind of was that. It kind of was because she sang so many of these songs. Mm. But there were a lot of other ones. Like there was a, there was like a Shaka Khan song on there. Yeah. Like it wasn't just Whitney. No. By this time, black audiences are back on board with Whitney. The soulful Super Bowl performance, her marriage, and the insistence of more R&B sounding music helped. They were ready to support this black woman as the lead opposite a white man. Which, you know, that's that's saying something, too, because they're yeah. not like, oh, you know, oh, you're you're with a white lead yeah. instead of a. No, I think it was like, oh, like she's been accepted. We like her like she's doing it like she's crossing barriers. It was a really big deal because she was playing the lead, you know, like she wasn't playing a slave or a drug addict or a mate, which were typical roles for African-Americans in that time when they were happened to be featured in white films. Like those are the roles that they got. Black women weren't typically depicted with such strength and grace in a film. And this was noticed. Representation is so, so important. And this role showed other actresses that the sky was just the limit. After the bodyguard, Houston had more than success. She had fame. As her star rose, her husband's career was at a standstill. She, she became the breadwinner. And as you all know, a woman's success is the quickest way to emasculate a man. That's why we do it. Yes, clearly. Just to be like, ha ha, don't you feel so low? Suck Look at it. me. So that's all sarcasm. I don't know. You should get it by now that that's sarcasm. But yes. if you don't, sarcasm. men who are listening, we love you. It's fine. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) So as Bobby's insecurities rose, the more entangled he became in Whitney's career. The two did a few songs together for his album. Uh, You could see him just failing at recording the track and her trying to carry him and him only becoming more upset. These are all in home videos that are featured in the Kevin McDonald documentary. They're really hard to watch. I don't know why people record themselves so much. But it's good to see it, but also the cracks. But it's just so awkward when you see a couple fight. Yes, and they they recorded a lot of that. And especially like a public-facing couple Mm -hmm. or a couple that you think like, 
well, they've got it together, blah, blah, blah. Like, I remember at our wedding, Sean and I were arguing about the table setup because we did it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And Ashley was, like, freaking out because she thought we were, like, going to get in a fight and, like not get married or something oh, no. <laughs> but it was funny at the end we realized we were arguing the same exact thing just in different ways Aww. which is what we tend to do <laughs> which is marriage there you go uh whitney then started a film production company like you do you know you have to diversify move that money around yeah yeah it started out as houston productions but she later asked her management to change it and it became Brownhouse productions Boo. This is why I don't even change my last name. Like, I'm not about to change the name of my production company. Because, you know, I've got one. You, I mean, you could. Why not? <laughs> it would be Sassel. That's, like, my name and Sean's name. Like, Aww. our last names together. Sassel. <laughs> oh, mine would be Fungal. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Fungal. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Um... <laughs> Brown joined her on tour, and the two performed their songs and remixes of hers. He became another person on the payroll. And on tour, he and Robin bumped heads. I think that's putting it mildly, right? Mm -hmm. Because actually, you know, actual fights broke out. Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. Allegedly. That only Whitney could break up, making her sort of play the referee most nights between the two. Which must have been so much fun for her. So much fun. Whitney became a mother on March 4th, 1993, when their only daughter, Bobby Christina Brown, was born. Things were great in the beginning, but as Whitney started to tour and travel, she didn't want to leave her daughter like her mom had left her. And given the allegations that we spoke of earlier, it was probably in the forefront of her mind that things could go wrong if she wasn't there. She took Bobby Christina on tour with her as much as she could, but she actually wasn't able to spend any time with her. Just the name alone. Like, look, I... Oh, yeah. I'm not a fan of juniors. I hate juniors. I'll I'll be damned if I'm going to name my kid after my... No. No, I hate Junior so much. Are you listening? Are you listening? He knows. To no, I'm just kidding. He knows. I don't think Sean would have wanted that if we'd had kids. Theo wouldn't want it either. You know, give them their own name, their own personality. I feel like you're setting your kid up. Like your kid is already going to be compared to you, right? And listen, if you're a junior, we're sorry. We love you too. But it's not your fault. We hope like, you have an individualistic identity outside of your father. You know, in my family, there's like I think we're up to the fifth in some name. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. That's, that feels very white. <laughs> it is white. I, hey, everyone, I'm white. Most of my family is too. I know. It just feels like that's, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I think that, that I white people have the lock on, I feel. Unless, I, I mean, think so. People I, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's, I've ever met a like, lot of black people too. I don't think I've ever met past the third. I think okay, the third maybe generation people are third. like, I'm over it. Yeah. I wonder if the... The fifth is I know, some commitment. I know there's at least four. I don't know if there's five. Ashley, tell me if there's five. I know you know. She knows. She's yelling it right now. Like she's yelling Hannah Montana's real name. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't thought of it. That's all right. It's, it's all right. not. It's not, though. Like, I need to remember this. and I, I'm just going to go with I'm too old and I don't care. Just teach me. Anyway... Over the next few years, Whitney gained more acting experience. She did movies like Waiting to Exhale, which was released in 1995. 
Okay, so if you haven't seen this movie, that's your homework. So it's got Loretta Devine. It's got Angela Bassett. Just like Angela alone. Bassett in anything. Angela Bassett. She's a queen. Who's going to play Angela Bassett in the Angela Bassett movie? Because she has played so many phenomenal like black women. Who's, who's going to play her? You can't. It's going to have to be a hologram of her. I'm here for that. I'm, and I love, and you know what? Someone go check on her. I love Angela Bassett and I don't want, she's so strong. Her arms, she's fine. Nothing's going to happen to her. She's a 911. She's a 911. She's I, also I, in Black Panther. I'm going to watch awesome. it. She's, oh, I, I mean, that's not one I'm pressuring you to watch. I, yeah, she's I, also in a, a bunch of the American Horror Stories. That, that makes sense. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. The queen. She's amazing. I, I don't think, I'm like, is she, can we talk about her next? I don't know. It would just be me. Going off on how much I love Angela Bassett. Like, it wouldn't even be a real episode. It'd just be an appreciation episode. But anyway. Sadly, the filming of the movie Waiting to Exhale had to be halted for seven days after Houston suffered a drug overdose. Bringing a bit of morbid press and concerns from the fans. But Whitney recovered and released another film in 1996. The Preacher's Wife, co-starring Denzel Washington. My stepmom loved this movie. I think My she loved this movie. Soundtrack of this I think one. she loved it more than she loved The Bodyguard, even. Really? I do. I, it was like one of her favorites. I know. I was always like not really a church kid. So I was like, I'll pass on this one. But Denzel. But Denzel. Yes. <laughs> so, According to Sissy's book, Bobby did not want Whitney to star in The Preacher's Wife. I mean... It's Denzel. Of course, he had a problem. Jealousy. <laughs> so seeing how he walked out of a screening of The Bodyguard after watching Whitney and Kevin Costner kiss. Oh, my God. It's a movie. Hate it. But like he's very insecure. Clearly. Yeah. So Sissy says that it was because he was intimidated by Denzel Washington. He Rightly was- so. You should all be intimidated <laughs> by Denzel Washington. <laughs> because he was handsome, accomplished, and one of the most beloved actors around. I don't see the lies. Yeah, just all facts. According to Whitney's mother, Bobby, like many men, might have been too insecure to want his wife around that. She says he also simply had a hard time living in Nippy's shadow. She was one of the biggest stars in the world, and he was just never as big as she was. For a man like Bobby, it's not easy to be called Mrs. Whitney Houston. Side note, my favorite mail that we ever received Mm -hmm. is to... Doctor and Mr. Rebecca Salois. That is like my favorite. If you address mail to me as Doctor and Mr., I think it's funny. Like, only no. because, like, I don't ever think of Sean that way. Mm-hmm. I think I prefer us each to have our own last names, but because for so long and so traditionally, it's Mr. and Mrs. Male's name, male's last name. I hate that so much. We've been getting mail like that, and I'm just like, Ooh. like, even if you say Mr. and Mrs same last name or mrs kimberly and mr theodore yeah i just feel like the mr and mrs first name last name makes me feel like property and i don't like it (laughs) and i get it the people who are sending us the mail are like older people from a different generation so i'm not yeah you don't call them out but they're not doing it to be disrespectful in their case they think they're being very respectful but i just am very mindful when i send out cards and i'm like nope yeah sometimes i don't even do like the mr and mrs i just write people's names like for the wedding i because i was like oh i should put like doctor on you your did. place card but well, I, well you put doctor on my inv- on the on mail invite. invitation yeah because i you was spelled like oh. my last name wrong but you you blamed it on theo, theo. <laughs> there were a lot of t- listen i don't know how i <laughs> got out there were a lot of typos lots of things were wrong but you know what <laughs> wasn't wrong 
1997, the TV movie Cinderella was released, and Whitney plays the fairy godmother. I, have you seen this? I have not, and I'm ashamed. Like, I feel like I really should. Well, like you said, you were older at the time, so you're probably like, I'm not watching this little kid's movie. But it was amazing because it had colorblind casting. So there was a Filipino prince and Brandy. Do you know Brandy? Of course I know Brandy. I don't, I don't know. What are talking? I, I got asked. Anyway, <laughs> she was Cinderella. And that's yeah, I I, I I know the film. I just I don't think I've ever seen it. And I think Victor Garber is like the prince. And I loved him since Titanic. All right. I, love I thought Victor the prince was the Filipino guy. Not the prince, the king. Oh, okay. The king. All right. So with all of this going on, Houston's star was shining. But people started to notice the cracks. She was high every day. And her drugs of choice were cocaine and weed. So could it be that she was looking to escape? I mean, her home life was getting stressful as Bobby Brown started to have legal problems. He was arrested and repeatedly hit with citations for DUI, DWI, and drug possession. Physical abuse was brought up, and in an interview, he admitted to slapping her. Just just once. Just the one time. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't count if it's just the yeah. once. If you say right? you did it once. Yeah, I want, if you admit to doing it once, like how many other times did you actually do it? Yeah. Allegedly. Things were beginning to spiral out of control as Whitney took to doing interview after interview to defend Bobby. Like and you do. I, I'm sorry women feel that they have to do this. I know yeah. it's really hard for you to break from this and you, you feel like you have to defend someone. And, mm. But if you are in this position, please, you know, reach out and, and try and get some help because it's not that's not where you belong. Uh, but I know it's so much easier to say than to actually yeah. to actually do Um you know, there were sexual harassment allegations that started rolling in from female staff members and tour cast members. I think that the the drug sort of became a temporary reprieve for Houston from all of this going on with Bobby Brown. Yeah. And I mean, when it got worse, like things started to surface. So her struggles, Whitney struggles with drug addiction, her health problems, the rocky marriage. It all started to surface. Like you have to start noticing things like that. Album sales started to drop off and her voice began to slowly show signs of wear. Then the show started to be canceled. Mm. By the end of the 1999 tour, the drama between Robin and Bobby became too much. Yeah, by 2000, Robin Crawford quit Houston's team. Other members of the team say that Robin was the last defense. And now that she was gone, all hell was breaking loose. Crawford was actually helping run things behind the scenes. You know, she was the creative link to the record company. So any artwork, wardrobe, music videos, all that was handled by Robin. She was the sole reason a lot of Whitney's musical image remained impressive. All the while, Houston was canceling shows and missing recording sessions. This barrier was gone and the outside world could see the cracks. In Robin's absence, friends and colleagues started to reach out to Sissy. It was time for a change. They all sat down Whitney for an intervention. She was high while it happened, but she listened and she agreed to go into rehab. But then she called her father and he said it wasn't necessary. Where have we heard that before? I mean, we already mentioned the parallel with with Amy Winehouse. So. It's very it's very similar. Their downfall is very similar. After this, Sissy didn't really push it further because her relationship with her daughter could be rocky and she didn't want Houston to push her away. Other reasons why people might have been reluctant to push harder for rehab, uh, you know, included their jobs because everyone had jobs and money mm-hmm. and reach. They didn't want to mess that up. They, they were in a good position. And sort of talking about that could damage those, po- those opportunities. 
In the documentary, Whitney, Can I Be Me?, it stated that Whitney's fortune of $250 million went to supporting her entourage of family and friends. So even though Whitney was struggling, she was still Whitney Houston. You know, her name still opened doors for people close mm. to her. So she took advantage of that for them and they took advantage of it as well. Mm. In August of 2002, her father's company, John Houston Entertainment, filed a breach of contract lawsuit against Whitney Houston in the New, New Jersey Superior Court. According to MTV News, the singer had hired her father and his business partner in 2000 to represent her in several personal and professional matters. This included a 2000 drug bust in Hawaii and negotiations for a contract renewal with Arista Records in 2001. For this, Whitney earned a $100 million deal. So the lawsuit claims that Whitney failed to pay the company for such management, which resulted in them suing her for the $100 million. This wasn't the first time that Whitney had asked her dad to handle some business for her, but this was the first time she was charged for it. Okay. Okay. I see the difference. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, hey, dad, can you just talk to these people for me? Okay, cool. That's going to be $100,000. Cool, 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 cool. Thanks, dad. But her father, he was a little bit petty. He went on TV and pleaded for the money. I like, but what a power move. Shame. I'm just going to embarrass you into getting what I want. Yeah. In February 2003, John Houston died after a long battle with diabetes and heart disease. He was 82 years old. The lawsuit was thrown out. Whitney saw her father in the hospital just the night before he died, but did not go to the funeral. Interesting. Shortly before this lawsuit, though, Whitney performed a tribute for Michael Jackson. And during this, she was visibly not okay. And it was clear that her vocals were strained. The record company tried to get in front of the drug rumors by having Whitney sit down with Diane Sawyer. Big mistake. Huge, huge, huge mistake. Yeah. In 2002, Sawyer asked Houston flat out about allegations regarding Whitney's weight and drug use. During the interview, Diane Sawyer passed a photo to Whitney. It was of her at the Jackson Tribute. Sawyer asked her if her weight was a result of drug use, claiming Whitney must be on crack. And this is where you get that famous line. Whitney replied, crack is whack. I didn't realize that was hers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was far too rich to spend her money on such a low-grade drug. And the meme, the gift, everything, that clip was born. That clip played over and over on the airwaves and became the biggest punchline on late night TV. Yeah. During the interview, Whitney had also revealed that she had taken drugs, but it was in the past. At this point, Whitney had been in and out of rehabs, but they weren't successful. Usually the first couple of times aren't. Yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah. The interview actually did more damage than good. It seemed like the Brown family was searching for rock bottom, as Being Bobby Brown premiered in June of 2005. Now, this was a reality series that followed Bobby and Whitney and his extended family over the course of six months. The show gave fans an up-close look into the couple's relationship, including scenes that showed the two breaking out into song and dancing in the middle of a store, laughing a lot, saying goofy things to each other. You know, really cute, really sweet. And I've seen the show, and there are some really sweet parts, but the two of them did seem really unhinged for the most of it. Yeah, I mean, the couple often got too personal. Like, in one episode, Brown shares a little too much information about the time he helped Houston uh, in the bathroom. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. The show was degrading and did nothing to help Whitney's image. She refused to do a second season, and the show was canceled. Houston filed for a legal separation from Bobby Brown in September of 2006. Their divorce was finalized April 24, 2007. 
Whitney spoke of the codependency of their relationship. Bobby was an alcoholic and Whitney was into drugs. When they combined, they did both and they did it together. Whitney says, he was my drug. I didn't do anything without him. I wasn't getting high by myself. It was me and him. We were partners. My high was just being with him no matter what. But Whitney got sole custody of their daughter and started to turn things around. It was just the two of them, and she told people she needed to be better for Bobby Christina. She started a rehab in California and was there for around seven or eight months, but she ran out of money and had to cut it short. The only money-making options were pretty slim. The best way was to go on tour. The only problem was she used the most of her drugs while she was on tour, and it showed. Mm -hmm. Her live shows got bad reviews, with fans walking out and demanding refunds. From being late to singing off-key and visibly shaking, it was bad. So music was done, you know. She, she tried another option, film. She starred in the remake of a film called Sparkle, which was released in 2012. The deal was that she had to do a drug test every week. It was a rough start, but co-stars and staff all note that she got better. She was clean and she had a sense of purpose. She was happy to be there and to be given a second chance. You know, she started to shine again. On February 11, 2012, Whitney was in town for the Grammys. Her personal assistant, Mary, says despite having a sore throat, Whitney was in really good spirits. She was looking forward to Clive Davis's pre-Grammy party and to the future. She was looking forward to pursuing more acting roles. That night, her assistant drew her a bath and went out to get her cupcakes. Mary, the assistant, returned to Houston's hotel room and found her lying face down in a water-filled bathtub unresponsive. Her cause of death was ruled by the medical examiner to be accidental drowning with heart disease and cocaine use listed as contributing factors. She was only 48 years old. So that was a lot about the Whitney that the media knew about, the, the, the Whitney that was shared with the world. Mm -hmm. But I think we need to, like, while a lot of that was true, I think there's more to the story, right? And so we want to look uh, beyond this big reputation. I mean, there's a lot of history here mm -hmm. that, that could be involved in some of the choices that she made and in some of the paths that she ended up taking. Yeah, I feel like there are reasons why people do the things that they do. And absolutely. We're going to cover a couple of what we think might have happened with Whitney. Yeah. Some of the factors that, that may have been involved behind the decisions that she did make. So the claims of abuse by her cousin were brought to the light of her brother, Michael, a few very close members of Whitney's staff and friends also claim that Houston told them that she had been abused. Bobby and Robin and Sissy all claim that Whitney never expressed those things to them and they don't believe the allegations. Okay. If she was abused, the abuse and then the silence around this can provide some clarity for the origin of her painful and complex life. With sexual abuse within families, there's usually a pressure for the victim to actually protect the family. If they speak up, it's going to destroy everything. Whitney needed to protect her family and she did that with silence. Then with money as her career got more successful. Yeah, and of course that doesn't excuse everything, but the pressure of having to keep silent on a specific topic of trauma is, is going to compound that trauma. Yeah. There's also the idea of the double consciousness that we kind of mentioned briefly before. Um, in an article by Soraya Nadia McDonald, McDonald breaks down where we might see the double consciousness theory at play in Whitney's experiences. So we can recall that Houston was booed at the 1988 Soul Train Music Awards. But Nippy used the opportunity at the same show to flirt with Bobby Brown, 
who's a well-known bad boy. So it was like Whitney did the performance, Nippy did the flirting. It was like two two different two sides of, of who she was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Nippy then married Bobby, then constantly compromised herself to make up for Whitney Houston's success and what that did to his ego. Now, remember we spoke of the last minute name change to her production company, Houston Productions, to Brownhouse Productions. And so a lot of that might be tied in with this. Now, these are speculations on our of part course, and everything yeah. and on, on McDonald's part. But there there's some something to be said yeah. for it. I just don't think that she would change the name of her production company because she just thought that sounded better out of nowhere. You know, like I think yeah. that definitely was a conversation that she had with Bobby and it was like, well, of course, you know, where am I in this? And she's yeah. like, fine, I'll name it after you. And another issue that sort of came up was this idea that that Whitney Houston would bring her daughter, Bobby Christina, on stage and sing to her at the concerts, but that Nippy was maybe more neglectful and and didn't have as much time to dedicate to her daughter. And, And again, you know, like we're not psychologists, we're not speaking on this, but we will link the article uh, Mm -hmm. by McDonald so that you can read more about it if you're interested. The tightrope that Whitney had to walk was not only one of blackness, but she also had to be sexy, but not a slut. Knowledgeable, but not experienced or a braggart. Wholesome, yet desirable. Men needed to want her and women needed to want to be her best friend. This seems like an unreasonable demand to make on a perfectly healthy young woman, but a truly disastrous one for a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Whitney battled to be herself for so long that by the time she was, she was broken. Trying to put the pieces of a failed marriage and fading career back together was just too much. And the drugs made for an easier escape. You know, it's I don't think we're necessarily saying like, her behavior is excused for this, but no, but there are reasons to why people do the things that they do and they might not be good reasons, but they might've been reasons for where you're at at the time. Yeah. And I think her relationship was a big part of that. Yeah. Her relationship with Bobby helped her image with the black community. His acceptance of her told the world that she wasn't whitey Houston and it gave her street cred. He understood the pressure and the pain. The two of them had acceptance for each other. When they were together, she didn't need to pretend to be someone different or hide anything. The only other relationship that was close to that was her relationship with Robin. And she didn't have to pretend with Robin either. But she did have to pretend around others with Robin. Remember, if we go back to like their romantic relationship and and sort of when it was just the two of them, it's one thing. Mm -hmm. But when it's the two of them around others... Yeah, like she was able to let her guard down around Robin and just be a regular person. But then when there was a third person involved, she couldn't be that person in front of she couldn't be that person with Robin in front of anyone else. Right. Many people believe that Houston was bisexual. And many also believe that if she were just able to express that part of the life, she might be here today, you know, not having to hide that or repress Mm -hmm. that. Now, one of those people was Houston's ex-husband, Bobby Brown. In 2016, he told Us Weekly that the singer was bisexual, claiming that she and Crawford had been involved in a hidden relationship for years. He alleged that the secrecy was because Houston was scared to face judgment from her mother and other members of her family. He said, I really feel that if Robin was accepted into Whitney's life, Whitney would still be alive today. 
And that that's what he told Us Weekly. Aside from Robin, she didn't have any close friends with her anymore. Once one of Robin's biggest adversaries, Bobby changed his tune. Could it be growth? Could it be guilt? Who is to say? So let's talk about her legacy a bit. You know, um, I mean, her musical legacy will never be forgotten. Absolutely not. There's no way. With over 170 million combined albums, singles, and videos sold worldwide during her career with Arista Records, Whitney Houston has established a benchmark for superstardom that will quite simply never be eclipsed in the modern era. Just some of Whitney's record-setting achievements are she was the only artist to have to chart seven consecutive number one Billboard Top 100 hits. That's like in a row, like consecutively. Wow. That's kind of amazing. In a row consecutively, In a row consecutively. (laughs) (laughs) It's impressive. She was the first female to enter the Billboard chart at number one. Oh, wow. That's shocking. She's the only artist with seven consecutive multi-platinum albums. So that meant she was just like making hit after hit for years. I mean, she has an amazing voice. She does. Other artists who've met her have spoken about her warmth and encouragement. Singers like Kelly Rowland, Kelly Price, and the cast of Sparkle have spoken about the support and advice Whitney gave them about the music industry. She also paved the way for a whole generation of singers, producers, and actresses. She will sadly also be known as a cautionary tale. Her battle with drugs was well documented. And even though her life ended too soon, hopefully it can be an example of what can happen if help isn't given. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we talked about with Amy Winehouse before. And I'm sure we'll come up with other artists as well. Unfortunately, yeah. But the impact goes beyond the music. And we do hope that it's something that that people can kind of take away with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Into their own lives and their own careers as well. Involvement with men and family members and and all of that trauma. Okay, so final thoughts, takeaways. What what have we got? What did you come up with? I just felt that Whitney's life was eerily similar to Amy Winehouse. Yeah. You know, another artist that just wanted to do her own thing, but because of family and society, the industry, reasons, reasons, reasons. She just couldn't. People wouldn't let her be. I'm sure Whitney's family would get over their phobias if they could still have her alive today. Like, would you want a bisexual daughter or... But I also think about, like, you know, would these women have been such powerhouses in the music industry if they hadn't had all of that nonsense from their family? I would hope so. I would hope... Like, you think, like, trauma breeds... Well, I don't... Yeah, see, that's the thing. I don't want to say trauma breeds success or fame... Because I think there are plenty of famous singers that have that didn't have that experience. Mm-hmm. But in the case of both Winehouse and Houston, their lives ended too soon. Yeah. Right? They were both really young when they when they died. Uh, the ones that have a, maybe a healthier experience li- lived longer, and so we don't see them in this same particular category. Yeah. My thoughts were that there's always so much going on behind closed doors Mm -hmm. more than we can ever imagine. Right. Like honestly, the idea of dismissing mental health issues and addiction because someone has money or is famous is just, it's it's one more harmful factor that leads to the downfall of so many of these greats. So kudos to those who speak up about their issues, even Mm -hmm. if they receive an initial backlash, like those of you who are in the industries 
where you're expected to be on point all the time. All the time. Yeah. Who actually address, hey, I'm going through these mental health issues. Like, thank you. That makes me think of uh, Demi Lovato. Yeah. She's always been really outspoken about like having issues with like her weight and having issues with fame and drugs and being like very honest with it. And I think that not only helps audiences understand where these artists are coming from, but Mm -hmm. it helps the artists work through their traumas as well. Mm -hmm. I I would hope. Because you don't feel like you have to hide something. Like I'm being honest with people. If this whole thing is like a self-discovery and honesty, making you a better person, like lying about who you are to the public can't help. Like it gets rid of the burden. And if you're going to not be a fan of someone over that, then you weren't a good fan to be. Yeah. Like who needs you? Mm hmm. So we have a few resources and references that we'd like to share with you, and we'll try and link as many as we can in the show notes, but at least the names will be there if you want to look them up on your own. Um, so the documentary, Whitney, uh, and from 2018, the director was Kevin McDonald. And then we have Whitney, Can I Be Me from 2017, directors Nick Broomfield and Rudy Dolezal. A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston by Robin Crawford. Remembering Whitney by Sissy Houston. America created Whitney Houston and then it destroyed her. Her family created Nippy and then it did the same by Soraya Nadia McDonald. We're also going to include a source on more information about double consciousness. The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. So what did you think of our coverage of Whitney Houston? Share your thoughts and feedback with us. Let us know if you have any suggestions for other women we could cover in the future. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message on any of those platforms or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, and your bodyguards, or your preachers and their wives. <laughs> Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, take a screenshot and then send it to us at bigreputationspod at gmail.com, and I will send you a sticker. I will send you a Big Reputation sticker. While supplies last. While supplies last. <laughs> if you're interested in merch, we've got you covered. Check out the Redbubble link in the show notes. There you can order a variety of items from stickers to t-shirts, mouse pads, and even shower curtains. <laughs> I love the shower curtains. Someday <laughs> we're going to get Big Reputation shower curtains. I don't know where we're putting it. I'm not putting it in my house. No, just, you have to for like clout (laughs) (laughs) all right let's wrap this episode up it's it's been a good one but what what words of wisdom or quote do you have to share with us today i have a quote from whitney kind of it's from linda creed who wrote the song and whitney powered the lyrics learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all true life and as always believe women